Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in with us today on our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our podcasts are brought to you by the Military Child Education Coalition, whose work is focused on ensuring quality educational opportunities for all military-connected children affected by mobility, family separation, deployments, and transition. Here at the MSEC, we want to ensure that every military child is college, workforce, and life-ready. In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. Thank you for joining us for part two, What Are Colleges Looking For in a Student with Carrie Becker at Anchor Collegiate. And in this episode, Susan and Carrie are going to talk about searching colleges and tips on classes and admission, as well as some helpful hints for the Ocona students. There's a little bit about dual enrollment. There's definitely things specific to the military child as they're enrolling into colleges. So stay tuned to Susan and Carrie as they talk in part two of our podcast today. So switching gears to colleges um, themselves, what are they looking for in a student these days? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> you know, <laughs> colleges are looking for different things, uh, just like uh, we look for different things in our friends and people with we work and talents and interests, depending on the needs we have. Colleges do the same thing. So, you know, if the college has a marching band, they're always going to need a tuba player or a bassoon player or a piccolo player or a cello player. If they have sports teams, uh, especially on the D3 level where there is no athletic scholarship money awarded on the D3 level, they may be looking to fill a team. Um, in a campus that has great environmental causes, they may be looking for students who align with their beliefs on environment. So there's so many different things that a school can look for in a student. I will tell you that colleges operate just like everybody else, they, they they like to be wanted. And so if you fit their group and you find that it's a good fit for you as a college, you may want to demonstrate interest in that school because we have found that all other things being equal, a student who demonstrates interest in a college has a better chance of getting in than a student who does not demonstrate interest. So, you know, there's a fancy name for that in the college industry right now. We call it affinity, you know, to have an affinity for a school, to to have a personal relationship. But really it's about reaching out and talking with them and developing a relationship at the admissions office the school so they can understand better who you are and decide if you're right for their college um, campus community. So um, that's important. But I, I certainly think that students should be, honest in their representation of themselves and present themselves fully to those schools so that a school gets a better understanding of who they are. You know, the the schools want students who want to go there, and they also want students who are going to be happy on their campus. And if you're honest and you think it's a good match, you have a better chance of being happy on campus, happy students graduate in four years, they don't leave the college, and it's a win-win for everyone.
No, absolutely. And I think you bring up a great point of that it needs to be a match, meaning that it's a good fit not only for the college, but also for the student. And I know perhaps a demonst- you know, one way to reflect in a demonstrated interest is going on a college visit, which can also help the student to determine whether they're a match for themselves. What are your thoughts on, on doing the college visit? Well, I love a college visit. Um, I've been on over 160 of them in the last 10 years. Many schools I've visited more than once, especially schools that are popular with military children. I try to get on their campus uh, at least once every three or four years. I will tell you that visiting a college is a great thing. Uh, Visiting a college when there are students on campus is even better. And visiting a college during a time when students are on campus and engaged in activities during an academic week is the best because you'll be able to see fully how the campus operates during the academic time. I know many people don't like to take kids out of school to visit or it's not possible to visit a school always during a school week when the school is uh, in session and when classes are in session, but it really is the best time to visit. If you can't do it then, visiting the campus in person is always a good thing. You get to see dorm rooms and academic buildings and dining halls. You'll get to meet and shake the hand, make eye contact with your admissions representative. Maybe if the school requires an interview or suggests an interview, you have the opportunity to interview in person, which is always a great way to make a good impression. So visiting a campus is is a strong way of getting a feel for the campus, getting the campus vibe, the academic vibe, the extracurricular vibe, but it's also a great way of demonstrating interest. I will tell you, though, that uh, when you go to campus, you will have a campus tour normally and then an information session. Many students ask questions during the information session. Not a lot of them ask questions during the tour, and tour guides are students. So asking a current student what they love about that campus and what they find interesting about that campus and and any hurdles that they had to overcome is a great way of getting information about the campus, about the true feel of the campus. So I, I encourage all of my clientele when visiting a campus that they send an email with any follow-up questions, certainly to the tour guide, but also ask the tour guide questions on the tour. I think that's a great, great way to really kind of get the real deal, as they say, about campus life. You know, who better to tell you what's going on than a current student? And I absolutely love that suggestion. And and the other ones that you made are also great for all of our military-connected kids that are in the States. But what would you suggest for the Ocona student? Even for students who are in Ocona who want to go to school elsewhere, it may be hard to visit campus. And I will tell you that, you know, the Internet is is a great way of getting information. You know, it's a wonderful, horrible thing. It's a great way of also getting tons of misinformation. When students aren't able to visit a campus because they're stationed overseas or stationed too far away from a campus, I would always tell a student to check out the website. Many admissions departments have virtual tours posted on YouTube, and you can walk a tour with a tour guide on campus at your computer. And that's a great way of seeing how the campus looks when students are on campus. I would 
warn parents and students to stay away from unofficial tour videos and also to stay away from some websites, and I'm not going to mention them, that are parental in nature because what is right for your student is may not be right for others. And parents bring a different set of lenses to a campus visit. Certainly other other children do also, their students do also. So it's it's kind of important that you take a look, an objective look at the campus through the lens of your student because, you know, a, a great school, a, a tiny little school like Goucher College in Maryland with 1,100 students may may totally be the perfect spot for your student, but right down the road, another parent, you know, student may really like the University of Maryland and so to College Park. And so uh, with 38,000 students, or uh, I think it's even more than that these days. So when you look at information that's out there, be careful to really take a better look at the objective information, the information that is put out by the school. That's vetted a bit because you don't know the lens which influences the perspective of a writer in some of these websites. But another thing for old CONA students is don't be afraid to look at schools that are overseas. You know, if if your parents are going to be overseas and for quite some time, there are schools overseas that are American institutions that accept the FAFSA, that accept the GI Bill, that would put you closer to home. So don't don't rule out overseas schools. No, those are definitely great points for uh, our Okona students to consider. Let's turn to a topic now, still talking about our students, but chatting about graduation requirements versus admission requirements. Have you found as a counselor that these requirements are the same or different? Well, it certainly depends on the state. Uh, the majority of public high schools set their graduation requirements to align with the minimum entry requirements for their state university system or community college system. So uh, if you're in Pennsylvania and you're at, let's say you're posted at the U.S. Army War College in Carlisle, then those high schools in that surrounding area will, and rightly so, make their admission, their graduation requirements align with the Pennsylvania State University system or possibly the Pennsylvania Community College system. But as we know, military families aren't always going to be uh, in the state where their child graduates high school. So what you may find is that although you meet graduation requirements in the state where you are currently where your student graduates, you may not meet graduation requirements in other states, nor will you meet admissions, baseline admissions criteria for many other state universities in other states where you're not stationed. So it it can be a little frustrating. So I know many students worry about getting into their state university at their their parents' home of record. And and it could make a difference. If you look at the chart your course material and you look at the college admissions workbook uh, material, um, what MSEC suggests and what all college admissions counselors and independent college admissions counselors suggest is that you take a really strong, uh, uh, rigorous course of study and that that course of study reflects your students' academic abilities at the highest level. 
um, because that opens the door to possibilities and admissions where it may not happen if you just followed the, the basic graduation requirements. And, and you can certainly ask your school counselor for the state admissions, I mean the state uh, graduation requirements, and then go and look at your local website or look at your state that you're in or the state where you want to be for those public school graduation requirements. I will tell you that the College Board website has a great, uh, if you look at uh, their website and click on a certain college, they can tell you the demographics of what students took academically who were admitted to that school. So it's a great way of knowing where you have to gauge to where you go. I actually wrote um, a two-piece blog about it called Mind the Gap about uh, academics and how there is such a, in some states, such a gap between uh, high school graduation requirements and college admissions requirements. Absolutely. Thank you, Carrie. And for our listeners, we do have a webinar titled Chart Your Course for Success in High School and Beyond. And that goes into more detail about what Carrie mentioned um, and the subject of finding the graduation requirements. And it can be found on our website of www.militarychild.org backslash webinars in the College Transitions and Options tab. So talking about classes that students are looking at taking, I've noticed that there's a push for dual enrollment versus AP classes in high school these days. Would you share your perspective on this and what the military student should consider when making these classes, class selections? Sure. Well, if you're lucky enough to be in a school that has a rigorous AP course of study, that's great. Many of our students are in schools that uh, don't offer many APs or none at all. You know, some schools, especially our, our overseas schools that are small, they may only have a few AP classes to choose from. And dual enrollment um, can be a great thing, and it, it also can be a not a great thing. What we find is courses, both AP courses and dual enrollment courses, depending on the selectivity of the college, they may or may not count towards graduation requirements. So a school will certainly use a high score on an AP course, a four or a five, uh, or an A on a dual enrollment course to help place a child academically. A university or college may use those to place a, a child academically. But they may not give us credit for those dual enrollment in AP classes. And, and what we know is that the more selective the school, the chances are that they will not give credit for those. So if dual enrollment costs you money and AP does not, I would tell you to stick with the AP. It's probably easier to negotiate and, uh, and navigate in a, in a high school schedule. I know so many of our kids are overscheduled with extracurriculars and, you know, extracurriculars and sports and, and part-time work and homework that driving them to a community college or fitting that in a schedule may mean they have to drop another course that they really uh, should be taking. So I think if, you're, if your school has a vigorous AP program or even an international baccalaureate program, which happens to be my favorite, you know, I would, I would say, you know, go with the AP. It can make a parent's life a little bit easier and make a student's life a little bit easier. AP classes are designed, uh, the curriculum is designed by the company ETS that runs, that owns it, and it is uh, a national curriculum. And what they assume is that AP courses teach college readiness 
academics. So if you can take AP psychology or AP U.S. history or AP economics or calculus, that you would be able to do a first-year entry-level 100-level course on the same topic and achieve uh, on a college level. It doesn't necessarily mean that the curriculum reflects college academics. And I think parents see advanced placement and they think, oh, it's a college-level course. It reflects college readiness. So it's a little bit different. We hope that what AP does is uh, show colleges and admissions personnel that a student is achieving at the highest level offered in their class. But we also want to make sure that those classes that are being offered are being passed. The test is being passed. So I was on the phone with a young student, and, and I always ask permission so this student knows that I'll, I'm speaking about her. And she took five AP classes. She has since graduated from college. Five AP classes her senior year. And, you know, unfortunately, three of the teachers that taught her did not have great records of getting the kids through the AP test. And she was just like most of the students in that class, and she scored threes on the exams, which was a pretty good score for those teachers, but those teachers did not have great scores. So when you're looking at um, APs, you know, don't be afraid to ask what's the percentage of students in your class that are getting fours and fives on those tests? Because, you know, an AP with a four looks like a rigorous course of study to a to a college, but an AP with a one or a two, we don't know as if I'm looking at it admissions-wise, they don't know whether or not that student has just not performed or if, you know, the teaching or the curriculum was not teaching to the final exam, and that's the whole point of AP. So uh, when we look at them, parents always think it's a great idea to pile all these AP uh, courses on their students, but it it may not be, depending on who's teaching it, and the history of how well students in that class with that teacher have done on the AP test. Interesting. Yes, that's something that personally I, I had not even considered is looking at how, how <laughs> students I do are what actually I do. scoring <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, and speaking kind of on that same vein with dual enrollment, in our military kids, a lot of times, you know, they may be in one high school in one state, but then either applying out of state or graduating from another state. So how does that dual enrollment, I know you kind of mentioned some of it can be accepted, some of it can't. How does that sort of translate for that student that may not be graduating and attending the, the college that's in the state they're currently in? Right, and I think that really depends on the school where they're taking the dual enrollment and the schools to which they're applying. In the United States, we don't have a centralized admission. You apply to the schools you want to apply to, and every school has its own metrics and its own admission standards and own transferability of dual enrollment. So it really depends on school to school. And this is one of the reasons why I tell parents to start that process early, because those are questions you can ask individual schools, or certainly your student can ask, because we want all the communication going to colleges and universities to be student-centered communication. The student really should be the one contacting the schools and asking the questions, because they'll be the student at the school, not the parent, 
and I would certainly say that it, it's important that those, those students ask questions about how dual enrollment courses are accepted at those particular institutions and plan according, accordingly. You know, unfortunately, some colleges, I was just on a conference call with couple of other counselors and one of the counselors was telling me that one of her students had taken so many dual enrollment courses that she could not apply as a freshman. She applied, uh, had to apply as a transfer student into her state college. Now this was a student who was not military, um, who was going to a state university in the state where she graduated from high school. And so she was applying as a transfer student. She would enter as a sophomore. Well, that would be great, except that some schools take even less transfers than freshmen uh, or first-year students. So it it really does depend on the school and how they take dual enrollment. So this is one of the reasons why we we want to touch base with those colleges early in the process because they may have a preference. And knowing what that preference is can help you build an academic plan that reflects uh, the needs and uh, desires of the college admissions uh, where you want to go. And, and certainly that story is anecdotal, and I have not heard of it happening to military families, but it's certainly something that uh, you may want to ask about as you tour or you virtually tour or visit a school. Interesting. Yeah, that's a lot to take in, and I think your suggestion of almost working backwards, looking at the colleges that your child is wanting to consider and reaching out to them to ask them about dual enrollment versus AP and how they weight that in terms of uh, admission. And that can also, there still be a challenge for our military-connected kids that may, like we've discussed before, starting at one high school but finishing at another. And I know we always encourage the students to take the most rigorous classes that they can but what would you suggest to those students, you know, that, for example, have maybe gone to two or three high schools to graduate, and how do, how do they have those transcripts stand out to colleges? Okay, I'll answer that in just a second. They do want to bring up something that I just thought of when you were summarizing. So I, I think it's important to realize, and parents sometimes see that the end state is high school graduation. But really the end state is not high school graduation. The end state is for the student to be successfully enrolled in a college where they can learn and flourish and eventually graduate and move out and get a job. Uh, <laughs> you know, parents want that for their students. But um, I will tell you that we have to start thinking not so much as you know, what will it take for them to graduate from a high school? But what will it take for those students to gain admission at the college where they would like to study? So the end state is college admissions, not high school graduation. And if we look at that, high school graduation will fall in because many times, most times, it's certainly not an absolute, but many times, college admission standards are higher than high school graduation standards. So uh, if we plan for college admission, high school graduation will take care of itself. So I think um, that's a great point. Yeah, So, and I think that's so important. So we were talking about 
how military families and, and moving around and how their transcripts would reflect. So I, I certainly think that's something that you always bring up in an interview or as part of an email that you're a military family. I hesitate uh, and I always get a lot of pushback from parents when I tell them this, but I'm going to tell you and your listeners today this, that I, I always tell parents to not encourage their students to write an essay about being a military child. So if you look at the numbers, uh, and I did this math a couple of years ago, so I'm not sure if the numbers are correct, but I think I'd ballpark them. There, there are about 30,000 military students from active duty students, uh, parents, reservists, National Guard members, and retirees, uh, but recent retirees in the past three years who apply to and attend school every year. So about 30,000 students. That could be up or down. I haven't done math in four years. But what we know is that we want a student to stand out as a one of, to be individual. And when you write your college admissions about just being a military child, we, it certainly reflects one aspect of you that's wonderful and amazing, but it's not all of you. So I tell parents and students all the time that a college admissions essay should certainly mention the fact that you know you grew up in Japan or you grew up in Germany or you grew up in Florida and you're applying to school in North Dakota or you grew up in New York and you're applying to school in Texas because your parents or parents' military service. It's certainly uh, something to mention, but it should not be the sum total of the topic of your essay. It should be part of your essay, something that is a piece of the puzzle that is the student. I certainly would like students when they write an essay to mention the fact that they are military or to work that in, but I don't want it to be the main topic. And then also, I would like them to make sure that when they speak to colleges, and they, those colleges understand that there will be two or three high school transcripts. And those high school transcripts, um, you know, are are different. They're different in form, and they're different in function, and they may be from different states that require different high school graduation. So you may be taking a health class in California as a senior that's considered a freshman class because to graduate from the California high school and to gain admission to a California state university, you need that health class. And you didn't need it in Texas when you were there as a junior and sophomore, nor did you need it in Florida when you were there as a freshman. I would like uh, parents to talk to their kids about uh, making sure that they communicate where they've been and how many schools they've attended to the school to which they're applying. And and that should be part of the conversation right to the from the beginning. I also think it's important that parents and students have a copy of their transcript from every school and a copy of the school profile from every school. And a school profile can help showcase the school. If you are coming from a small, you know, charter school in North Carolina and then you move to a big public school in West Point, New York, you know, the school profile is going to be very different. The school in North Carolina may not offer APs or may only offer them to juniors and seniors. So you may not have had the opportunity. And the public school in New York may have offered 
APs from the beginning, and so you would not accurately look like you were taking the most rigorous, rigorous course of study if they just transfer those credits onto your New York transcript. So always have a copy of those transcripts. Make sure that when the school sends a transcript to the school that they also send copies of the transcripts from other schools, not just that the credits are included on the transcript, that you'd like a copy of the old transcripts sent and the school profiles. And if they don't do that and you have a copy of it, you can always send it as a parent or have your student send it because, again, we want all the communication to come from the student. And that would give them a better idea of the course of study and what the school offers and how your student academically stands up. And as far as extracurriculars, you know, many times you'll hear, you know, my child didn't get a lot of leadership positions. We moved in the middle of the school year. The captains had already been voted on. The president had already been voted on. But many times leadership can be organic. It can come through extracurricular activities like Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, through a church organization or by starting a program or a volunteer work within the community to kickstart something. So leadership does not necessarily have to be within the realm of the high school organization. It can be outside, and I think it certainly can be organic. To be a leader and to identify as leader doesn't necessarily mean that you are the head of something. It means that people follow you and and think what you do is worthy of doing themselves. And that can be demonstrated in many different ways. I think that's a huge point that you just made. Um, Along with the transcripts and school profiles, it's something that had never occurred to me that when you're sending your school transcript to college, you know, your guidance counselors, that it may not always reflect the multitude of schools that you've attended if you've attended multiple schools, as well as the difference in the profile of each school. And I think that is such a helpful tip for all military-connected families so that the colleges that you're considering can have a better reflection of what your child has has experienced. And it also showcases that they have moved around and have been to different um, opportunities, different venues, and then sharing that. And have flourished. And have flourished yes, doing absolutely. it. Absolutely. And and it kind of showcases that without having to make the essay the point of that, which is what you had mentioned is, you know, sharing that they're that they're military connected but not making that the central focus of their essays, which I think is a, an interesting point to, to take on that. So Carrie, when should students consider doing dual enrollment? Well, that's a great question, Susan. I think if a student is looking at uh staying in the same area where they went to high school and taking dual enrollment classes at a local community college in which they'll enroll uh, the following year after graduation, I think it's a great opportunity to save some money, especially if a student is uh, uh, paying for college themselves. So for students who may not have access to college funds, uh, except out of their own pocket, Dual enrollment can save them money and time. They'll graduate from high school with community college credit. Most dual enrollment courses are from local state university systems or community college systems. The vast majority are through community college systems. And you'll take courses that will then count towards your community college. And then if you have a a good system where 
the community college has an enrollment program with the local state university, all those credits will count and roll towards your graduation requirements in that state university system. But because so many military children move around, that's where the hiccup comes. If the student is in the same state in high school where they will attend public university and they are paying for it themselves, they need to work part-time, dual enrollment can save them time and money, especially if the high school is paying for that dual enrollment course while they're a high school student because those are courses that that student or those that student's parents will not have to take. So it's a great cost saving and time saving uh, in that particular instance. But if you're going to be moving around, it may not work quite as well. Carrie, I think you bring up an excellent point, and thank you. This podcast is all about telling stories. Carrie, do you have any final inspirational story or message for us that you could share uh, with our listeners? Susan, thank you so much for asking me to participate in this podcast. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to military families about um, what I'm passionate about, which is college admissions and the military child. And, of course, you know I'm so um, always so honored to be a part of the parent-to-parent and military child education coalition team. Um, it's such an amazing organization. I'm so privileged to have been and to continue to be a part of it. I will tell you that my final thoughts, um, my final story, would just be a little inspiration for parents out there who are getting ready to go through this um, process. I have two daughters, both of whom are college graduates. Um, One has a graduate degree, magna cum laude. One is a becoming graduate student this next year. And what I found through the course of all these applications and all the students I've worked with is that everyone's road to college is different. Everyone's path is unique because they're unique. And what works for one student, small school, urban environment, may not work for another student, rural school, big sports program, uh, engaged campus. So we really have to look at our student and our children and have them lead us down the appropriate path for them to school and know that um, that we've done our job as parents and we've raised great kids who are forward-thinking, who are uh, initiative takers, who are innovative and creative and have grit and resilience and determination. And they'll get through the process. And their process is not going to look like their friend's process or even their sibling's process. Um, My oldest daughter uh, applied to uh, seven schools uh, and was admitted to four of them and ended up transferring after a freshman year and going to a completely different school and successfully graduated. Her her path was different than her other her sisters who applied early decision to a school. So she only applied to one school. And you know, I I always like to bring up my kids first of all because they know I talk about them and I'm infinitely proud of them. Um but because they are so different, they're like night and day, but Um, I really let them guide the process, the college admissions process, and their their, uh, admissions story was unique to them. And every parent needs to understand that. And and I will just tell parents, when you're out and you're talking 
with other parents, you know, talk about the weather and talk about the garrison you live on and talk about the, the sports teams you love, but really keep the college admissions process in your house reflective of that. It will lower the stress level quite a bit, and then you won't be worried so much about what other people are doing. Because remember, the path that your student took to get to this point is different than their student's path. So obviously their path to college admissions will also be different. So and you can't compare apples to oranges in this sense. So um, keep it to yourself. It will lower the stress in the house. Your family will be happy. Your child will be happy. And in the end, it will be a much more organic process, which will end in a happy student enrolled in a great college for them. Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk to us and for sharing your knowledge and expertise with our listeners. If you're interested in more information on college counseling, you can go to Carrie's website at www.anchorcollegiate.com or her Facebook page, Anchor Collegiate. Both of these sites will allow you also to link into her blog. We'll have all these links in our show's notes. Thank you to all our listeners for joining us today. Please like, share, and subscribe, and we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.